На трибунах олеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона Разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. The RPL blasted back into action over the weekend with some of the most entertaining, bizarre and frankly embarrassing games I can recall in the short term. To discuss more crazy goings-on in Russian football, I'm your host, James Nichols, and I'll be joined by David Sanson. Hello, David. Hello, James. And Andrew Flint. Hello, Andrew. Hello, how are you doing, James? Um, great. Had a good weekend, finally. Football's back. Can't complain. And now it's lovely and sunny in England. Now, just quickly, to jump straight on to the big game of the weekend, Sergei Semak, Zenit St. Petersburg, dismantled Siska at the VAB Arena on Saturday. A header from the unmarked Branislav Ivanovic saw Zenit take an early lead before Malcolm Double and late Sabadriusi penalty saw the hosts off. Since the game, however, Viktor Goncharenka has travelled to Belarus and is currently on leave from his role of head coach due to illness. The Belarusians developed a serious case of hypertension, with his assistant Viktor Ovchinikov taking over coaching duties. Now, we all of course wish Goncharenka the best and hope he recovers. But in sporting terms, he's been under fire for some time, and the performance at the weekend only intensified the pressure on his shoulders. The Red Blues are now winless in five, have a terrible run of fixtures to come, and are suddenly looking at the, over their shoulders at Spartak. Now, first, David, what's your take on Goncharenka's future and role at the term at the club right now? Well, I remember last week I uh, said that yeah, they'll be fine. They'll 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 you know they'll hold on. They'll get enough points to get through. But I think we all predicted the. Uh, the result this week would not go well, and it it did not go well. Zenit were come very very comfortable, took them apart with ease in the first half, and it was it was game over by half time. Um, you know he he wasn't a happy boy at the end of the match. He wasn't a very happy boy at half time when the uh, Karpov had been sent off. He when that when that red card came out, he was he was not happy at all. You could see it, and. Uh, Apparently, yeah, he was he was then ill after the game. Didn't do the press conference after the game, and then seemingly went straight off to Belarus, which is certainly a strange one for a manager to do. Um, you know, we hope he's all right at least, but it, it it's not been a good season for them. Um, his faith in in Karpov, who I've mentioned, obviously uh, has been has been quite baffling at times when you see the number of mistakes he's made. You know, the people say, "Oh, yeah, Vasin's made mistakes." You know. Uh, Magnuson's made mistakes, but you know Karpov is is stretching the team out, and it it just hadn't been working. Um, you know, yeah, maybe so Chinnikov can do something else to help out. It, it it's difficult with Goncharenka because you don't want to kind of hit a man while he's down, especially with, with hypertension, which can be quite a serious illness at times. But you can't look away from Siska's results without that glaring issue with with Goncharenka, as as you mentioned, is Maxim Karpov. We all basically agreed last week that we thought Suska would struggle to get anything from the game, but I don't think anybody quite expected such an inept defensive performance around, like on the whole, around the full pitch. There was mistakes left, right. There was weren't even close. I mean, granted, it's a very talented and dynamic Zenit front three, but with Suska, even though they have been struggling of late, you would expect them to at least compete, and at times they didn't even compete whatsoever. And as David there had mentioned, Maxim Karpov, he's 17. He's what looks like he could be a good prospect at some point. But it's evidently clear that he's been pushed into it too much, too fast and far too often. He shouldn't have started the game. 
never mind be up against that. I think I mentioned we have a group chat going on, and I, I kind of I see in the lineup, and my first thought is I literally sending a message saying poor Karpov up against that because <laughs> he's already been quite mistake prone. Andrew, would you say that's on Goncharenka's hands? First playing him and then mm. not taking him off when he should have. I think unfortunately it is, and you, you, you're absolutely right. There is there is two sides to this. Of course, we we all wish Goncharenka well with his health because it's no um, no trifling matter. But you have to look at it on a sporting point of view. It was illogical to first, like you say, start him, but he was all over the place from the first minute. And he, anybody could have told you when you've got a man of size and confidence and form of Artyom Juba up against a, a 17-year-old. You've got to remember, he's still a schoolchild, effectively, age-wise. Um, it was never going to go well. And when it visibly wasn't going well, he was he was always likely to be dragging Juba down at one point. Um, why he didn't come off at half-time? Two defensive substitutions. Vassin goes off and, um, and Nababkin goes off. And, and Karpov still on the pitch. was That was an easy option because you couldn't have blamed Gontrink for taking... Um, Vadim Karpov at, at that point, um, and yet he didn't, and I cannot, I cannot understand it. And you know what I think it is, James, that what Goncharenko has done over the last two years, whatever, however bad the form has been recently, must be remembered how well he's done revitalising that side. And I think he's almost got stuck in a rut of trusting you too much. You know, he yeah. put in a lot of players, brought in a lot of players under the age of 21, 22. Davis kept a really good record of how many minutes and how many actions under 23 players have had in the RPL over the last two or three years. So you can, I'm sure, give more accurate information. And I think this is just a, it's a shame because Karpov has the talent, but now he, he really has to be taken out of the limelight. Otherwise, his confidence could be crushed. Yeah, look, it's it's kind of lucky for both Siska and the man himself, actually, that he got that red card because you could see that Goncharenka wasn't going to take him out anytime soon. If he, like you said, he made those two substitutions and it was clear as day Vadim Karpov had to be one of them taken off. He completely lost Ivanovic in the build-up to the goal. In the second half at one point, I think it was Zuba was running on a counter-attack and, and Karpov kind of like lazily stuck his leg out, offered up no resistance whatsoever. And that's not an attack at him being a lazy defender. He lazily stuck his leg out because he's completely and utterly bereft of any form of confidence. And he's, he, he's massively struggling. And I do 100% agree that it's it's a little bit of stubbornness, really, from Goncharenka. And you don't often hear that. It's usually the, the stubbornness is often an obstinate refusal to play the youngsters. It's constantly going with, say, I don't know, like a for Siska, a 38-year-old Sergei Ignashevich before he retired, week in, week out, even when you've got a young mm. and up-and-coming defender who could take the place. And his is the opposite. His is he's almost he's known for bringing in youth. Siska right now have got so many young, exciting players. But as we highlighted last week, there's nothing to to balance that out. There's nowhere near enough experience. Victor Varsin's the most experienced defender they have, and at times he's also a liability. That's probably why Igor Deveev has kind of ha- highlighted so well. It's having such a successful season so far. And it is just, it's just a little bit of a shame that Karpov's kind of been left out to dry. And, yeah. And, I don't like to lie him. I don't like to lie into him either. You know, he's only, he's only 17 and, you know, it's not his fault. He's trying his best. He's, he's just inexperienced. He's not at that level yet. He needs, he needs time. He needs probably a loan spell down and, 
in one of the lower divisions where you can get some experience playing against older players on a regular basis. And uh, yeah, it's it's just obvious that he's plainly not quite ready for this level. Um, but yeah, as you say, it's it's not his fault that he keeps getting picked yeah. and he's trying his best. Um, yeah. And if you look at Karpov, the way he plays as well, it's it's not like he's kind of a deer in headlights. I mean, he is at times because of his confidence, but it's not like the Rostov kids. Those kids were clearly physically underdeveloped. They weren't big enough or strong enough and physically capable enough to play at that level. Karpov's a big guy. He's been, he has developed physically. Just technically, he doesn't have the ability there yet. He doesn't that his positioning at times is a little bit out of sorts and all over the place. And I, I definitely think he would benefit massively from a move to the L in the coming season. But do you think that would that would happen? I mean, Siska are a little bit bit cash strapped, and and do you think he would actually go down to the L? Would would Siska allow that even with or without Goncharenko in charge, David? I mean, there'd be demand. You know, there's there's the new rule where the Fennel teams have to play a player un- under the age of 21 in every match. So I'm sure a team would use him if he went. But yeah, it's all a case of whether they would, you know, have they got the, the resources to let him go. You've got Vassin, who's perennially injured or making mistakes. You know, he was at fault for one of the goals yesterday as well. Or not yesterday, over the weekend. Um, Gugua, who came in and then got dropped quite quickly. Magnuson, who's had some injury problems. And then Deveyev, who himself is only 20 as well. So you know, there's not a great lot of depth there, and that's why Karpov is getting games, of course. Yeah, certainly. And I think that's why you've just got to f- focus on Goncharenka's decision-making. His decision not to take Karpov off when he was quite clearly struggling, and the red card was all but inevitable by halfway through, halfway through the game. And then the decision to constantly play him again and again, all of the, these come back to him, and the pressure is building on his shoulders. And now, obviously, the weekend, the goalkeeping coach Viktor Chinnikov is going to take over as as the as in charge of the team, and he's he's done all the training sessions this week at Siska. Uh, in the longer term future, do you think that's the end of Goncharenka? Because personally, I can't see him lasting the end of the season at the very most. Uh, Andrew, how about you? Uh, well, I, you know, honestly, I'm conflicted on this one because on paper you couldn't argue with that at all. This. You know, these Tiska fans have been critical of him for quite some time. I, on the other hand, I still connect him with the quite honestly thrilling side that he put together when the experienced spine of the side were retired or moved on. And you know, I still think of Goncharenko's Tiska as the one that beat Real Madrid home and away. And I, I was even there in the Luzhniki and the atmosphere was incredible. And this side was young, hungry. The potential was was through the roof. And I still think that potential is there. I think what would have been ideal would have been if this had been the winter break coming up now. Three months to just write, you know what, we'll switch off right off this season, take a breather, reassess and um, take, up, take the players out of the limelight. But there is no letter. In fact, quite the opposite. We've got two games a week for the next four weeks, uh, three weeks or so. And that's assuming, obviously, that they all go ahead, of course. But is it the end for Goncharenko? I could easily see it being, but what would they do in place? They've already spoken, um, my understanding is, to the Bedipzutsky brothers to see if they would be interested in coming in on a short-term basis. They have their UEFA Pro licence, um, so they are qualified to do so. But I, as I understand, they turned it down because they didn't feel they were ready so they are, you can see what that direction is. 
they, they, they seem to be looking for somebody who understands the club. Take it down to a simple level. Gontrenka is a very talented coach, but he does have a record of, I wouldn't say he's, I wouldn't say he's headstrong, but he, he doesn't hang around. He doesn't suffer any fools. If he is not happy with a situation, he's quite happy to walk out of the club. And I think he, quite frankly, it looks like he's had enough. I hope it is. Um, I hope it is not the end of him in Russia because I think he's a very entertaining coach. But at Tsiskaya, I think it may well be. Yeah, and I think uh, I liked what you mentioned there with the sort of Tsiskaya as a, a whole longer term project. Now, necessarily that doesn't have to have Kontrarenko at the helm of it. Obviously, he is, he is known for bringing through youth talent, and to be frank, he's done that. Now, the big question is, as you mentioned, is who could come in to replace him? There's there's rumours flying left, right and centre and there's kind of an, an elephant in the room in the fact that club legend Sergei Ignashevich, I mentioned earlier briefly, has been quite successful in his first season as a manager in his managerial career career in the Feyenoord at Torpedo Moscow. And Torpedo are currently, sit, or before the uh, cancellation of the Feyenoord season, sat fourth in the, in the league. And if not for a terrible run at the end of before the season went was cancelled, where the winless in five and even lost three in a row at that point, could even be have even been promoted. They're only three points behind Rota Volgograd and were first for the majority of the season. Though David, do you think that Ignashevich could possibly be coming, or maybe any other names? If they do, Seska do go down the second route. I mean, he's a logical one when you think about Russian clubs. Quite like sort of, you know, they like paying paying their dues to their heroes and you see a lot of clubs hiring their their former staff as managers and coaches so it looks on paper like it you know a decent guess we were you know we were talking about it in our chat and it was suggested and I was like oh yeah that, that's 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 not a bad shout you know he's had a good season he's club legend but you know who know who knows you know there's even been rumors that they go and get Valery Gazayev and you know he's ancient and very experienced so that's complete opposite end of the scale so um It'll be an interesting one. You know, they haven't exactly got a big turnaround period. You know, the the gap between this season and the next is only, you know, nine days. So even if they do decide to do it at the end of the season, it's going to be a quick one. So it's it's going to be probably something that they work on over the next few weeks, I'd imagine, if they're going to do it at all. Yeah, it's not really an ideal time to rebuild whatsoever. And perhaps I could stand in Goncharenga's favour. I mean, I, I presume my own personal thoughts jump straight ahead to that he, he wouldn't last because it's such a unique situation. You rarely ever hear of a manager leaving his team behind, going back to his home country and, and then suddenly sort of mystically getting this illness, not to put anything, any words into that or anything anyway. Like I said, we hope he's all right, but it's just a very unique situation. And I thought maybe that his time had come because of this and the, the way the story's developing, but perhaps it is a longer term thing. Maybe it is so a way where he can hopefully get better and take maybe a bit of an extended break with the pressure because hypertension is caused by high blood pressure and obviously caused by the pressure that's on his shoulders right now. Perhaps this could be in the longer term, something that keeps his job. He could be given an extended rest, time away from the club, time away from the limelight. And then, as you both mentioned, come back to the longer-term project. And because of the shortness of this time to rebuild, that could come into his favour in the longer term. Now, Siska themselves are winless in six games. They've got Spartak, Dinamo and Akmat away all to come. 
with a horrendous run of form. Will Siska be able to hold on to fifth, Andrew? Uh, honestly, no, I don't think they will. I think the momentum that Spartak and Dynamo have is 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 good enough to to fairly comfortably expect to overtake them. If you you've got to bear in mind as well, this weekend um, we've got a, a very important game in this in this uh, picture where you've got Dynamo hosting Tesca on Saturday. Now, if Dynamo win, they will go three points behind Tesca with a game in hand. And if they win that game in hand on head-to-head record, they would be above Tisca. And I think Spartak are looking a slightly more complete side and as of yet have been less disrupted by COVID-19 than Dinamo have. But I still think both those two are in far better shape. Um, it's virtually impossible to turn it around. This is the longest run that Tesco have had without a win in something like 17 or 18 years in the Russian top flight. Uh, it really is. That is how bad wow. we're talking. Um, and, and Dynamo have won, I think, something like seven of the last nine or six of the last nine. So they're picking up points. Uh, honestly, I think Tisca could be could end up as low as seventh or even eighth at this rate. It's really that bad, I think. <laughs> wow. And David, how about yourself? Do you think they'll hold on to it or...? Or are they going to get caught up by those behind them in the mid-table push? Well, last week I said I was optimistic after seeing them play and what's happened since. I'm not so much optimistic, I think. Um, you know, they're, <laughs> they're a talented bunch of players, but they're not in, you know, a lot of the key players like Chalov is out of form. Akhmetov's injured. It's, they're basically relying on Vlasic to get things going for them at the moment. And uh, that's a lot of pressure on one player. You'd, you'd pick them maybe to do well against the, the smaller teams, but you know, they haven't got many games left against the smaller teams. So it's going to be a very tough end of the season for them. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Spartak are getting a nice little run of form together as well. There's, there's combinations of play that... Uh, I'll, I'll move on to Spartak now anyway, because I am the Spartak man here. Is that they're getting some nice combinations of play with, in between the midfield. They've got quite a strong spine of the team, especially since Alex Kral's formed a, a very effective partnership with Zelimkan Bakayev and Robin Zubnin on either side. And then, for me, the two best players of the weekend, and even though Jikia was given man the match, which was bizarre... Uh, the two best players of the weekend were Alexander Sob- uh, so- Sobolev and Jordan Larson. Although those two combining were absolutely brilliant. And it's kind of harkening back, not as good, but similar for a Spartak fan in terms of excitement to how Quincy Promes linked up with Zilouish, how he linked up with Luis Adriano. And like I say, it's not as good as them and it's very early days, but it's it's nice to see a little bit of dynamism in, the, in a Spartak attack for the first time in God knows how long. And I thought Sobolev's goal was brilliantly taken. It was a lovely first touch, bringing the ball off the yeah. inside the box and then across the keeper. I'd done everything right. It was perfect down. And he, he reminds me of Zuber in that sense that he's a big man. He's, he's, he's a physical specimen, but he's also got really tidy feet for someone with such a high centre of gravity. And I do think, hopefully, I'll be optimistic for the first time in God knows how long as well about Spartak that I think they could get quite a nice little run of results together, especially with some of the big games that are coming up and probably put the pressure on Siska and only five points behind with seven games left. And I've seen a nice little tweet on uh, by at Swede Stats. Uh, he's, he mentioned that Jordan Larson's actually got 11 goals and assists in 1,400 minutes played for Spartak Moscow, Moscow which is 15 games. <laughs> That's absolutely brilliant. And it, that his, his set up and assist for Ponce, uh, Ponce scoring the third was just a 
brilliant little oh, he, he intercept the ball, lovely touch, and then the, the floated ball over the top. It was just it was a joy to watch, to be honest. And I can't remember that since the heady days of Carrera. So I must agree. I do think that's Bartak will catch Siska. Maybe down to seventh or eighth. I don't know. Like you said, I think they do have that. They obviously, still have Fyodor Chalov. They've got Vlasic, who's one of the best players in the league still. I think they do still have that quality there to see off the smaller teams. But when it comes to the elites, they're just, they are struggling right now. And I think the sooner the season ends, the better. And probably the same can be said for Zenit too. The sooner the season ends, the better. Because I think on the happier pastures, Zenit fans will be delighted at their form. And especially that of record signing Malcolm. The Brazilians now scored three goals and grabbed one assist in his last two games. During this time period, Zenit themselves have plundered 11 goals and dominated Siska and Ural, both away from home. Now, you could say the latter is quite easy anyway, but <laughs> nevertheless, it's been a turbulent time this season for Malcolm. He's only actually started four games since signing, and three of which have been his last three games. That's because he picked up a nasty hip injury in August. Now, Andrew, what do you think of Malcolm's performance at the VEB Arena on the weekend? Uh, he was looking much, much more like the man that, that they signed. And like you mentioned, being a record signing does bring a fair bit of weight around it, a bit of expectation, doesn't it? And I was really upset for him, just as a relatively neutral observer, um, to see such an impactful signing arrive in Russia and then straight away be taken away from us for half the season. But he, he had a smile on his face. He was combining well. He was... Getting, he was getting into the physical challenges as well. I mean, I know it's not his main role, but I like to see players who don't just think they have a centre of attention and then let everybody else do the work. He did get around the pitch well. He he seemed to understand his teammates better. It's always unfair. It's like, you know, Zanit without Malcolm was strolling to the title. With Malcolm, it's just, well, I mean, OK, you're just going to make it even worse for everybody else. But um, I think this is going to sound odd, but... In a weird way, that injury may, in the long run, be better for his Zenit career, I think, because it means he he won't just simply blast away the league in one season and already feel too big for his boots. He's still not done quite enough on paper to, you know, prove his legacy at Zenit. So I think he will want to he'll be motivated, I think, to stick around and and you know, and next season he could be electric in the Champions League, and who knows? Um, but he looked a lot, lot better. Um, I mean, the best strike partnership in Zuba and Asmu now backed up with Malcolm. It's uh, it's not looking pretty for everybody else, really. Yeah, I, I thought at the weekend those three particularly were just just a delight to watch the interlink and play between the three of them. The Oh, the, the the quality of the goals was just next level and it wasn't quite that Cisco were bad because they were but it was just Zenit were head and shoulders above them and to be quite frank Zenit are head and shoulders above everybody else in the league bar none Krasnodar and Loco maybe the only ones who could even come close to competing and uh, it's just it, it's a delight to see Malcolm finally getting into some proper game time and into some proper form and I do agree I think that that delay that injury is kind of not just delayed time, but it's delayed time, but it's delayed a lot of fears about whether or not he could hit the ground running. It's kind of took a little bit of pressure off his own his own shoulders of that massive fee because people see him and they think, oh, he's been injured. Well, that's always in the back of the mind. They've got that sort of like, oh, but, oh, but. And now those three are really coming into good form. I honestly can't see anybody <laughs> doing anything to, to danger Zenit yeah. whatsoever, to be honest. 
And so, uh, David, what do you, what do you think about that partnership? Do you think it's hopefully it's here to stay, but uh, and it's it's going to be like it's going to be quite an ex- exciting one with yourself, a, a Ruben fan. You have you have some uh, special sort of experience with Asmu and playing the way he does. And but do you see Asmu the best brought out of him by the quality of the players alongside him? And he's, he's stepped up a gear. Um. I mean, obviously, I mean, we can see that in his numbers. You know, he's never scored so well until he moved to Zenit. Uh, but, the, you know, he'd formed a, a fantastic partnership with uh, with Zuba. And now you add Malcolm into that as well. You've got that extra bit of pace and dynamism, which didn't really exist in the Zenit squad at all. You know, you had Driussi, you had Shatov, but neither of them really offered the, the pace and, and skill that Malcolm offers. And so it's just that extra bit of sort of, just that extra bit of sparkle up front, which is just going to, just take them to the next level, really. And, uh, you know, the the three of them together look unbeatable. And you really fear, given that they beat Ural 7-1 before the break, um, you fear for bottom place Krillia this week, who uh, <laughs> who obviously got battered at home to Ahmad. In, and they're both bottom two clubs. So what's going to happen when they go away to Zenit, who are on probably the best form over the last 12 months that they have ever been in? I think the start of our scene that sort of cements just how good Zenit have progressed is that Zenit historically struggle at the VE place VEB arena. It's, it's a difficult place for them to go. They lost the last three without scoring there before this game, and then they just swept Siskar aside. Now, unfortunately, one sort of sour note from the weekend regarding the game, and specifically Malcolm, is it, it, it was revealed after the match that Siska had been fined one hundred thousand rubles for racist chanting from the Ultra Zen toward Malcolm. And it's 100,000 rubles is, is roughly about 1,100 quid. And uh, and that's, ironically, that Ultra section was also barely socially distanced. But it's, frankly, to be honest, it's a joke of a reprimand. Right now around the world with the Black Lives Matter and equality protests taking place in an attempt to make a better society, I think there are a few really should have taking this opportunity to try and stamp down on such racism. Not only have they missed the points, they've indicated how much they barely care about the issue, to be quite honest. Spartak and Orenberg were fined the exact same amount for different different cases. In, in Spartak's, it was the fans blocking a road. Orenberg's, it was inappropriate behaviour towards referees and having two men sent off. To impose a fine in, for racism in general is laughable. To impose one so low, personally, is a disgrace. Now, Andrew, what's You've historically had some uh, strong opinions on fining in, in the RPL and such. What's what's your take on this? Oh, dear Lord. I mean, the comparison you just made there sums it up. I mean, it's if you are equating... The, there are so many things wrong, so many things wrong with having a fine as a punishment because you're automatically, literally putting a value on something that's happened. So if you're then comparing it to you can't compare blocking a road to racist abuse it's a, it's a completely different concept altogether but you're putting the same value on it it's a, it's a joke in itself what on earth is a hundred thousand rubles going to do what and what difference is that going to make that is even in russian football that is a portion of one week's salary for a top player it's it's so completely irrelevant and the worst part is the fact that it is a punishment means that the authorities can hide behind that and say, well, we've dealt with the problem. I mean, it's the, it's, it, it, for me, it goes to the root of a much bigger, more serious problem, which is 
the I'm going to say I'm not going to say racism in Russia. The attitudes to racism in Russia is basically it's a matter of time. It's about forty years behind Western Europe and the and I'm not saying Western Europe is perfect for racism. Far from it. But understanding what racism is that is part of the mm-hmm. problem. So to put a fine on it like this is it's a quick and easy get out of jail free clause card, and it, it does nothing. It, in fact, it, it does do something. It makes the problem worse because people think, oh well, we've been fined, so that's that. It's a complete joke, a complete and utter joke. Yeah, uh, the the response has just exacerbated the problem straight away. It's not it it's it's a typical RFU of. There is an issue, right? Let's get the big carpet and sweep everything under it and just pretend that it's all dealt with. That Not only have they flagrantly ignored the racism in my eyes, they've, they've pretended that they care about it. And then they just, it, it kind of proves the issue with what BLM and why BLM protests are right now. It's not about the individual cultural racism of one person that exists the world over in my hometown of course it exists in Russia, of course it exists everywhere in the world, has aspects of racism, but it's the institutional structural racism that is the issue here, and that's the issue with the RFU giving a 100,000 ruble fine. For, for that, it, it, I get so frustrated because it's just unfathomable of why they think that that is solving the issue. I mean, before I ex- explode, I should probably hand it over to David. I mean, what's your take on it? Is it a wider RFU issue, do you think? Or do you think they should do more about it? The worst part is it's probably progress still from where they were, say, five years ago. Five years ago, it would have probably gone unpunished. <laughs> yeah. Like, you remember things where Frimpong was getting abused by Spartak fans and swore at the fans, and he was getting sort of not punished, but reprimanded by his club for reacting. At least now they're taking some sort of stance against it, which is, I suppose, if you want to look for a silver cloud, uh, the fucking, no, silver lining, sorry, then, uh, then that's something. But it's, uh, I think it's probably more of a case of Russia thinking, well, it's not a really our problem just because of how few people of colour live in the country. Um, mm-hmm. But they, but I think, as Andrew said, it's also a time thing. I think Russia is, in that way, sort of set back a little bit. Um, it's just, yeah, I think it's all just a bit foreign to them. Um, and I think it will take time still for the things to to improve in that respect, unfortunately, as much we all enjoy watching the football there, we we have to come. We've come to expect that these sort of things will continue to happen. Although, I think we can all say it's becoming less and less frequent than than say five or ten years ago. Yeah, certainly, without a shadow of a doubt, it is improving. And like you say, that that is a small glimmer of hope that we can cling to. But we need to non nonetheless just. Speak against this. Oh yeah, sort of you know it's blatant, ridiculousness it's, it's of the punishment yeah. and uh, the punishments. Yeah, not are not reflecting. But then, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just not good. I mean, this is the same. I mean, with, with Zenit themselves. I mean, Malcolm is considered their first in air quotation marks fully black player. Why does that matter? Why why is it a Why is it taking this long? B how do people count that? How do people know that? It's just a lack of education on the issue and the wider issue, personally. And that's not just, like I say, not just the people who perpetrated it, but those who 
systemically allow it, those who structurally refuse to do anything about it, continue to sweep it under the carpet and again and again and not actually get to the crux of the matter, not actually sit and look back at themselves and check their privilege, which we all should do. We all need to do that. We need to eradicate racism. And there's no other way of going about it. There's no other way of half-arsing it. It needs to be eradicated. And this message that they're sending off is not only dangerous, it's ignorant. And it... (laughs) I can't believe, honestly. I mean, we mentioned before the podcast, none of us actually heard the instance listening live. That's not the issue. It's not, if it's been heard, it's been dealt with. Excellent. But it hasn't been dealt with. It's just, once again, a little slap on the wrist and nothing else. And unfortunately, that happens far too often in Russia and Russian football. And but before I explode in, a, in the midst of a heatwave, I'm going to have to move on because do you think, how do you think this impacts the title race? We all agreed last week that it's pretty much Zenit's. And I think that only just reinforces the belief that Zenit no longer have one hand but eight fingers and nine, one th- and three-quarter thumbs clutched onto the trophy, Andrew. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, um, they. I mean, on on the pitch, there's no question they are streets ahead of everybody else and I actually think they are looking very well prepared assuming they don't um this squad isn't broken up in any way in the summer which I don't think it will be given this short turnaround I think they'll be well prepared for a Champions League assault it's been so long since we've seen a Russian side do anything meaningful in the Champions League that it's it's, a, it's about time and I is I'm so I can say this with a relatively dispassionate view given that well, let's be honest. Oral Yekaterinburg are never going to be in the Champions League or anywhere near it. So I, I, I consider myself a bit of a neutral at the top end of the table. And I want to see a Russian club do well for the coefficient points, yes, but just for you know a bit of pride. So yeah, there's there's his title, and they will be well equipped, I think, for Champions League. I personally would like to see Krasnodar get second place because. It's, they've been so close to getting to the group stages um, and getting into the Champions League for the last two or three years that I think, I'm not sure they would actually make much impact in the group stage, but they've got to get to that stage and test themselves first. Um, you know, so yeah, Zadik champions, fully deserved. Uh, we, we could have called it weeks ago, I'll be honest, but um, <laughs> but they are fully deserved. There's no two ways about it. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. And I agree that I would like Krasnodar to be up there. I think Krasnodar as a football club is a model that the rest of Russia should follow. Not only in how they do business, but why they do business, what they do. And moving on with Krasnodar as a nice little segue is that the biggest issue and controversy right now, arguably, is probably the coronavirus controversy. And almost the entire world now knows, thanks to numerous viral posts that went around on social media, Rostov's plucky youth team were demolished by Sochi 10-1 on Friday evening. Rostov's squad were quarantined entirely as six players tested positive for COVID-19. But that's not the end of it. Now there's been, since then, there's been more developments. Furthermore, uh, Dinamo Moscow versus Krasnodar was postponed entirely on Sunday after reports of uh, Nikolai Komlachenka, Charles Kabori and Clinton and G reportedly testing positive, at least for the coronavirus. And Krasnodar themselves, and specifically Sergei Galitsky, agreed to the postponement. And as I said, that's the model to follow. Not only do they do everything right off the pit, on the pitch, they do everything right off the pitch. 
it would have been so easy for Krasnodar just to sit there and say, nope, why should we postpone it? Sochi didn't. And Sochi set off a dangerous example. And thankfully, <laughs> I cannot speak highly enough of just how relieved and pleased I was and kind of, to be honest, expected Krasnodar to do this. If any team is to do this, of course it will be Krasnodar. They deserve huge praise for the decision. David, what's your thoughts on the postponement of the match? Yeah, I mean, when we when it was sort of breaking on Saturday, we were we were I think expecting it, considering there'd sort of been a mix. There have been mixed reviews in sort of uh, the Russian football following. You know, some people were saying, you know, Sochi, Sochi, the bad guys here, and I think it was probably more seventy five twenty five. Um, you still had a few people who said, well, what have Sochi done wrong? The, you know, it's not their fault. They've gone out there. They've they've won. What well, they've got the three points when they've been offered them, basically. Um, so to see Krasnodar, you know, to step aside and say, look, you know, we're all in this together, and uh, it was it was refreshing to see at least um, from Krasnodar, and it was it was pleasing. But now, obviously, things have developed even further, and we're we're not quite sure what's going to happen next. I think with uh, with them and and some of the other teams. Yeah, I think the whole sort of coronavirus issue, which is now morphed into not just Sochi and Rostov game and then the Dinamo Klasnodar game. It's it's now a lot bigger with Orenberg, Ufa and amongst others all testing having players and staff testing positive. Uh I just think it's um, the whole debacle's embarrassing and indicative that players return far too early. In the the coronavirus pandemic hit Russia later than the rest of Western Europe. Yet Russian football begins in the same weekend that Western Europe has. Now, granted, the R rate is a lot lower. The since the reopening of Moscow, it's it's not quite had the second spike as it has in Germany or South Korea, for example, and it is generally easing down still. But it's completely evident by the spree of coronavirus cases that football returned far too early. It should never have returned whatsoever. And that's somebody who loves watching the football. I was delighted inside that yes, the RPL's back. I could finally watch the games again but in reality it should the whole RPL season should have been cancelled they only have nine days now between the end of this season and the start of the next season it's absolutely ridiculous I mean, personally it, it entirely should have just shot the thing off I mean David if you want to just quickly uh, go re- recap some some of the announcements since the Dinamo Krasnodar game of a, a, a fl- influx of players and staff who are now being uh, reportedly testing positive yeah, well, there was then rumours shortly after the game weekend that Ufa had had a couple of positive tests but played their game regardless. Um, but they came out and denied that and said that we'd had a couple of inconclusive results, self-isolate the players as a precaution. Um, and then today, just a couple of days before the current week game, uh, we uh, next match day has taken place, they've come out and said that they've tested all their squad and it's all come back negative. So as far as they're concerned, they, you know, they've stayed above the board and... I think I saw a statement from uh, Priyadkin who said that um, Ufa had done nothing wrong either. Um, and then today, um, the day before the match day is kicking off and two days before their match, Orenburg came out and said that they had six players tested positive and two uh, staff members test positive for COVID. Now all the players were tested um, directly after their match against Lokomotiv on uh, Sunday, I think they played. And they were tested negative then. Um, but yeah, apparently six players have now since tested positive and uh, their match against Krasnodar, who obviously had to postpone last week, 
um, which is first match of the day on Saturday, uh, is now obviously in jeopardy. Um, obviously, Krasnodar have postponed their game against Dinamo, and there's currently only one free slot available to postpone matches, which is where that game has gone until the 19th of July. So the game against Orenberg on paper is not really possible to move it. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see actually what happens here. Um, Orenberg seemingly in that case would have to play maybe their reserves or the youth team like Rostov did. Um, but what would Krasnodar do in return? Would they uh, would they put out a first team? Would they put out their reserve team? Obviously, they've got a very strong academy team who play um, in the Feniel. Um, would they would they put those out? Would they would they stick to their guns or will they just say, look, there's nothing we can do about this one. We're just going to play and just do what Sochi did. Um, <laughs> and yet, you know, we're, we're, we're less than 48 hours before kickoff and we still don't know what's actually going to happen. It's quite unprecedented. You know, I, I do actually, to be honest, instead of jumping on against the RFU, which is my my shtick usually, <laughs> I, uh, I, I do sympathise a little bit with the RFU because the entire of the coronavirus pa- pandemic is so unprecedented. It's 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 almost impossible to plan for, really. But the RPL and RFU did release a joint statement during the during the games at the weekend, and without going and sitting reading it verbatim, it's it's essentially that uh, because COVID nineteen is not considered a force majeure clause, the league can only postpone the fixtures and only if and only if both teams agree to do so. And that's, as we've seen, was the case scheduled the Krasnodar Dinamo Moscow game. And later on, the after a long bit of paraphrasing, they went on to say that we believe the RFU league and clubs can ensure the safe conduct of training and matches and play out all the matches of the season. But and then uh, now clubs are building their training in different ways. The safety of the players should remain the main thing for them, which of course is entirely difficult to disagree with. The safety of the players is paramount. Personally, I think the safety of the players would be protected more so if. The players weren't playing right now, but nevertheless, we'll continue on from that. And then there's, there's now been diagnostic labs, labs set up at, at numerous clubs across the uh, across the country that deal specifically with the coronavirus testing and and more more cases. But I, f- I find it bizarre like when you were when you mentioned it there, uh, David, that Ufa were unsure at first if a player had tested positive, and then. Clinton and G reportedly had tested positive, but then went back into tests, and the tests that were positive were, were then inconclusive. How can a test for coronavirus be inconclusive? Otherwise, there's then question marks over the methodology of the test, over the validity of this test and the accuracy. Andrew, what's your quick take on the on the uh, on this sort of coronavirus controversy? Do you think that they possibly came back a bit too early? Well, I, I think it's a Absolutely, 100% come back too early. And I share your excitement as well, because, you know, I've, I've been looking forward to the football coming back. Um, but it's clear that it is not a decision made on purely health grounds, which is what it should be, because it's a health matter. It's not a footballing matter. This is a global pandemic. I think one of the big problems Russia has had as a whole, uh, not just football, but uh, as a whole country, is that there's been complete disparity how different regions have dealt with controlling the pandemic, what levels of lockdown there have been. In Moscow, at the, at the height of the restrictions, you weren't allowed more than, a, I think it was more than 100 metres from your flat for any reason, unless you were an extreme case. You had to have QR codes that were scanned 
and the police, if they were doing a routine check or you're on public transport, that if you had the wrong one, you were you would basically frog march back to your house. Um, but here, out in Siberia, I'm only 300 kilometres down the road from Yekaterinburg, where Ural play, and it, I barely noticed any difference. And so when you have such a change of attitudes, um, a change of such disparity of restrictions, how can you control a pandemic over an entire country? And where that ties in with the football specifically is that, okay, for example, with Rostov, we had, I think it was six players originally were said to have tested positive and that caused their entire squad to be placed in uh, quarantine. But that was not because of the Russian government. That was because of the Rostov regional government. Now, Orenberg have had um, six players and two staff, as you mentioned. Well, that's a, basically the same situation, but it's certainly not being confirmed yet whether their regional government will will say you need to be in quarantine or not. Well, when you've got a league where you've all played together, you have to have one unifying set of rules because otherwise it's a complete mayhem. It's complete chaos, and that's what it is right now. So, yeah, I think it's... Um, the 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 regulations brought in for this have been mismatched and really chaotic and this is hardly a surprise i don't think any of us could really say <laughs> let's be honest yeah that that's the most depressing issue is that it's it's kind of expected obviously the virus wasn't expected but the mismatched and and inefficient way to deal with it has been it's as you mentioned it is a lot of this is the pitfalls of a federalized regional government of a, a massive national government russia can't be controlled by the central government all of the time it must allow the federalized regional areas to make their own decisions but when it comes to the governing body of the rpl they they really should have led more on this and obviously they're not health experts and these the, the, the regional ones are all health experts and once you said that is quite fragmented but i think with their statements that they've released so far to be quite honest it's it, it's once again it's kind of just brushing it off a little bit too much I mean, and it's it's quite frankly they've, they've brought the league back for money they've brought the league back for the for the exposure they've just looking better it could be worse it could be belarus their president said that you just need to have a drink of vodka and you'll all be fine and then continue <laughs> to play on during the epidemic that's utterly mental so at least it's not that bad but it the league should have been cancelled without a shadow of a doubt give these players time off to bloody rest and get the health back together and look after the families and make sure that they're all in the right place when they come back again in the summer strong and ready to go now they're going to be playing they've played 20 games then had a three-month break then played three games and had a three-month break then they're going to have a nine-day break to play another 20 games again it's absolutely mental and then most of them will be jumping straight into some form of competition be it the euros or whatever in the summer and then going back for a month and then playing again and it's just unbelievable that the strain that must have on the body and on the mind is 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 just ridiculous. Should have cancelled it. It's and I think this debacle right now with Rust uh, Dinamo's under 18s training every day as if they're the first team because they don't know if they're going to be playing a RPL first team on Sunday. Uh, Krasnodar themselves might actually go on with the match because, as David said, that the, there is no other dates, but they might actually play the kids out of respect for their opposition. It's ridiculous, absolute joke, and it just needed some form of just quick framework around it. And that framework should have been cancellation. There's not enough dates in the Russian football schedule as there is. 
they're already fitting it in and you have to play late in November, early in December, early in February and March when really the weather's not in any state to play. And now they're having to do that after a three-month break with all this extra stuff added in. It's just unbelievable. Honestly, I, I, I'm not surprised in the least that it's such a mess. It, and it, they needed to just pack it in. But once again, I'm, uh, I've, I've jumped off onto a rant. <laughs> is it, James, your, your rant is fully justified. It's fully justified. I can't blame you on that. Oh, God damn me. it. <laughs> I think, Partly just my annoyance at Sunderland Football Club's existence jumping into Russian football right there. <laughs> but I think we'll finish off quickly with a a nice little roundup of the remaining news and of the week and the other games that took place last weekend. And hopefully on a little bit of a nicer, more optimistic note. Now, as mentioned on the pod last week, we had the latest RFN derby. Is Andrew your Ural hosted Rubin. Now, how do you think the game went, Andrew? Oh, awfully, dreadfully. Um, yeah, no, no. In in truth, the I mean, I think David will probably probably agree with me on this. For the first half, Oral were were reasonably comfortable. I'd say probably had nothing. There were no major goal chances, um, but they they had more. I think more possession. Actually, no, that's not true. Rubin actually had more possession at halftime, but Oral looked a little bit more threatening. And I, you know, got the early goal. I thought, okay, here we go. Should be good. Um, but what Oral do not have is absolute game changers. Um, Nikolai Dimitrov retiring is a major, major loss. Um, Eric Bikfalvi is a classy player, but he doesn't have that burst of pace that can change a game late on when legs are tired and you want to stretch the game. Um, Creature Kradatskhelia is just, uh, he's a little genius, that boy. He, when he's in the mood, he is so, so hard to deal with. Um, so uh, it, it was a fully deserved three points. It would have been played played well to come back into the game. Um, they used their best players as best they could. And Odal, once again, just conceding goals. It's, it's, it's embarrassing how bad the defence has been and for how long. Yeah. Um, conceded the most goals in the league and to a team that had only managed to score 12 goals in 23 games before that or 22 games before that. Um, so... Yeah, there's no shame in not beating Rubin because they're stubborn side at times. But um, to concede twice at home and really not put up much of a fight in the second half is is uh, a bit concerning. But at least we've got the Russian Cup semi-final to look forward to. So I'm going to cling on to that. <laughs> do you think that'll go any better for Rural? Hopefully. Well, you know, I, I actually do think that is precisely what um, Grigory Ivanov is is focusing on. He's been vocal about this for years now that he wants he wants to win the Russian Cup because he wants to get into Europe and financially yeah. can see why. The final is due to be in Yekaterinburg and will be against Zenit or Spartak and Himki as one of the least favourite clubs in Russia for me. Um, they were nothing club of oxygen thieves, the lot of them. Um, but uh, in, in, in reality, that really should be a comfortable semi-final win for Odal. And then it's a one-off game against two brilliant sides. Whichever side gets through is the favourite, Spartak or Zanid. But it is in Yekaterinburg, you never know. And with that carrot dangling in front of them, win this and we're in the Europa League. That is that is actually potentially quite exciting. Um, Oral have just announced their budget for next year is going to be uh, a billion rubles, which will allow for transfers to be made. Um, we're not going to see big names, but if they get Europa League qualification, that could really be quite a big boost. 
I can only imagine the so say possible Sheffield United or Manchester United or Wolverhampton Wanderers footballers who are there in the group stages waiting the draw, waiting eagerly, and then they see a Catherine Berg away. <laughs> Arguably the longest trip ever. It would be Imagine. brilliant to see Ural in there, to be honest. It would be quite the incredible story. <laughs> but I don't know if I share your optimism, Andrew. I think Yamal Yanov's been played out of position far too long. Yes. And if you look at the, the squad, a bit away from maybe El, El Kabir now and again, and although I do think Igorichev and Petrus Bumal are very... <sighs> Workmanlike and effective partnership in that in those terms, very, very good at winning the ball. But there's just there's not enough star quality in there. If Big Falvey's not going to turn on, El Kabir maybe do someone down the wing. You really struggle to see where Ural's goals will come from. To be honest. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it is a major problem, and it's been a problem for a long, long time. But we just uh, Ural has basically not had. A proper striker. The nearest we've had to a proper striker in the last five, six years would be Spartak Gogniev. Um, he got about seven or eight goals, I think it was four or five seasons mm-hmm. ago. Um, but even then, behind him, he had more explosive quality. He had Chisambalunga outside him. Um, he had um, Alexander Yerokin when he was on fire. We had Bob Borowski before he went to Rubin. Had... Um, you had Gerson Acevedo pulling the strings, and it was a, I would say, an arguably a better quality midfield behind him. So um, yeah. there's not been a proper out and out striker. I mean, when I say out and out striker, I'm talking just give me ten goals a season, and I, I would take that. Um, and until we get that, Udal are going to constantly tread water in the table at best, um, and at worst, struggle with relegation. Yeah, I mean, yeah. at the moment they're relying on the other teams to score for them. Like this weekend, just go. <laughs> <laughs> Lord. I mean, Pan- yeah. you've got Pan- you've got Panyukov, right? And he's a, as we know, he's a proven goal scorer if he's given the the appropriate chances. You know, we've we've seen him go abroad and score tons and tons of goals, granted at lower levels, but he's got he's got the ability to do it, and he's he's often popped up with decent amount of goals. But yeah, no, you haven't had a prolific striker for a while, and uh, as as much as you did control probably the first 40 minutes, maybe 35 minutes, then Ruben just started edging back in. And as yeah. soon as the goal came, it was it was largely one-way traffic. Um, yeah, the absolutely. Sub, the subs he made, yeah, didn't do much. And El Kabir, I think El Kabir's a, a tidy little player that he, he was not having his best day and struggled, certainly, I think, uh, to make anything happen. Yeah, I mean, uh, El Kabir is a very, very talented player, but he is a little bit lightweight. And when he gets marked heavily, he can disappear out of games a bit. Um, I remember speaking to him after the game against Akhmat Gorosny last season, and he was basically marked by two players the whole time. Rizvan Utsiev being one of them. And he's, a, well, let's say an aggressive little sod um, at the best of times. And, and El Kabir was, was not desperately happy. But he is a quality player. There's potential, but there's a good two or three major signings needed. Probably more, let's be honest. Left-back is a problem. Centre-back's a problem. Striker's a problem. Uh, Right-wing, I'd even say, is a problem. Um, Kucharczyk is okay, but nowhere near the quality of Dimitrov. So, Europa League football, if we get it, we're going to need a lot of of signings to to compete. I think Ural really miss uh, Dantsev's lightning pace down the left wing, to be honest. Oh dear Lord! <laughs> Please don't mention that name. It's not just the pace; it's the 
it's like it's it's the predictability of the cross. It was exactly the same cross. He got to about five yards <laughs> from the byline. It's swinging out, and it came to the penalty spot, looping over every single time. I mean, I could have defended his crosses every day of the week, and it would have been no problem. Oh dear Lord, Dantif! Oh, please don't mention that name <laughs> well, again. David onto onto Rubin. Oh, I was. To be honest, I thought Rubin were very Rubin, where they just don't see a great amount of the ball at first, and then out of nowhere do something brilliant. And that was Kavisha Kavatashelia. Was that was absolutely two great goals, especially that run for the second one. Yeah, we. Uh, I must admit, I was, I was, I was thinking, oh god, same old, same old after the first sort of twenty minutes, because you know, they Ural had a goal disallowed in the first minute, even. Uh, for offside, and it was sort of a sketchy decision as well. You'd you'd sort of agree with it, but it was sort of a oh god, we got away with that one sort of sort of decision. And then uh, you know the goal came, and it was a, it was a fortunate little own goal. Pablo just stuck his foot out from a, a, a shot that was going to be palmed away easily, and it just looped in. But um, yeah, we uh, we kept plucking away, and we we had a couple of not so bad sort of half chances, and then. Um, Remember, it was just a streak of really awful corners that had been going in from Moggy Levitz. And he, he had a bad corner, and I thought, oh, God, not another one. And they went out for another one, I thought, oh, here we go. And it goes straight into the six-yard box, features unmarked, and he's, you know, he's, he's hit this lovely little bicycle kick, which uh, even if he didn't hit, I think you had a Uremovic who had a, had a free run onto it and was going to smash a header in. So um, it was it was poor from morale, but yeah, Kavicha... Um, we we discussed him last week. Him and Zuriko, the two Georgian lads, and uh, he he was he was on it this week. And yeah, the the run for the second goal, you know, he ghosted past three players, cut it back, and it was a tap in for uh, Bukayev, the little Bukayev, that is the younger one, uh, for his first uh, for his first goal in the Premier League. So yeah, nice stuff, a nice away win, two goals in a match. It was it was one of Rubin's more exciting games of the season. It's been a tough season to be a Rubin fan, I must admit. Um, I've had to have, now, have a lot of caffeine. Ruben themselves actually generally lack creativity, but there's rumours that of a of an incoming transfer that might maybe help with that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I'd seen. Um, there's uh, there's rumours that Oleg Shatov will uh, will come in after his contract at, at Zenit finishes, which um, is what in four or five days' time. Um, we've already seen Rubin pick up Merkulov at the end of his contract at Ural, and he's already training with the squad, although he can't play. Uh, they've just signed a young striker from uh, Murom, who plays uh, in the third tier, but he's a Russian. Uh, he plays in the Russian national team at under-18 level, and he's come in and will be eligible to play even for the first team um, because he's 18. Um, so yeah, Shatov would be an interesting one. It would be a be a nice nice one in the middle to sort of take over from. Mogi Levitz or Poporozhkin who plays centrally and just sort of haven't yeah. got that spark. Poporozhkin had a very poor game certainly uh, against Ural and almost cost us a couple of goals early early doors. Um, and we all know Shetov's an exceptionally talented player. His loan at Krasnodar a couple of years back was was the best part of his career in the last five years. That's so just been tormented with injuries and uh, fallouts with various Zenic managers um, and. With Malcolm and Asmoon and Drusi all at Zeni, it's he's not really got uh, a lot of options. So um, yeah, if Rubin can bring him in, it would be another sign of intent and and a, and a lovely little signing. 
Yeah, for sure. I think that would be the best role for him as well. I, I think Shatov's days is like a speedy winger are gone. He, he, like you said, he's had these injury issues. And that, that spell in the midfield three of Krasidors that time, I thought he was he was very underrated personally and brought a little bit of extra class and a little bit of extra creativity. And in place of the very workman like Mogilevitz, and for me personally, I think bang average Pod, Pod Berezhkin, I think he would do really well in, in that role. But quickly on the on the very last last game of the weekend it was, it turned out to be, and then be the last game on this pod here, was a little look at the, the well... The notes I have on the podcast, in quotation mark, is mess at loco. Now, it's a bit of a, been a bit of an anonymous start for this uh, Nikolic, who who replaced Yuri Samin, as we discussed last week. I, I was live tweeting the game uh, on the RFN account at the time, and and those of you who were following along might have uh, might have noticed that by the end I became a little bit um, let's say ran out of patience basically with the spectacle that was taking place on the pitch with the. Uh, a lot of players, particularly Orenbjörgs, deciding to replace the football pitch and rulebook with some Queensbury rules in an octagon. It was a truly terrible spectacle. I think by the end, we tweeted that there was 30 fouls, 13 cautions and red cards, and the complete flow of the game just died by that point. And, and Loco themselves were getting dragged into Orenberg's terrible, terrible tactics, who Oh, definitely. There were favourites to go down last week. And now, after that spectacle, certainly even bigger favourites. They were woeful at the back. They couldn't string a pass together at the front. They, instead of trying to play football, they just wanted to punch the crap out of Alexander Moranchuk and his mates. It was just a genuine, awful mess down at the RZD Arena. And then, to top things off, the genuinely most hilarious penalty miss I can remember for a very long time from a day. <laughs> it was <laughs> flies. About 15 yards over the bar. Truly awful miss. It was just a, an absolute mess of a game. I don't know if you caught that one, Andrew. Oh, God, yes. I, I did. I had the, the pleasure um, of watching all of that. And I... <laughs> You know what? It's, it's going to sound odd, this, but I agree with you. It was a terrible quality game. Although, in a weird way, Orenberg, I think, were not quite as desperate as you'd think. As in, they didn't look like they'd given up all hope. They they just didn't employ... They have played some good football this season. But I think losing Despotovic in particular is a major, major blow for them. Um you know, up front, Joel Fameh and uh, Mamadou Silla are actually a very, very dangerous partnership. And when Fameh came on um, and they combined for that goal that was disallowed for offside, they actually were, were decent on the counter-attack. So they, if they just don't lose their tempers and pick their battles uh, in more appropriate areas and manners, they could, they could dig themselves out of this. But I just don't get the feeling they're going to. I just think they are too... Um, rudderless, basically. Loco have yeah. picked up a lot of those sort of wins like this, though, this season. Well, I say a lot, but, you know, a lot more than a second-place team, a title challenger ought to. A lot of very, you know, they drew, they beat Ahmad 1-0, um, was it back in March or back in December, I forget. Um, really struggled in that game, too. They struggle against these sides. Um, so how Nikolic copes with that is going to be very interesting to see, but he's got to improve on what happened at the weekend, definitely. Yeah, I thought it was quite an ominous start for him. I mean, during the game, it, he, he, he did realise that there's five substitutes now. The, the limit's up to five, not down to zero. I think he, he didn't make a sub at all until just before the 90th minute. 
any second sub wasn't even time to come on because there was two busy fighting each other in the middle and Anton Moranchuk was just left standing, not coming on the pitch. And I, I think Logo were just poor. Like, as simple as that, they were really poor. The, the struggle to break down Orenberg, apart from Moranchuk's own absolute brilliance, it was a lovely goal out of absolutely nothing. And Loco themselves just got dragged into a messy game. And 90% of their shots were probably Krakowiak or Joe Mario trying to hit one from hope from the edge of the box. David, what do you think? Was it an ominous start for Nikolic? Or is that just maybe wider problems with Loco? Well, I must admit, I, I didn't see the game other than uh, the brief highlights. And my, my personal highlight was Joao Mario hitting the crossbar with an open goal on the break. Um, <laughs> but from all I've heard of it, it's you know it's not a, not an ideal start to go up against at home one of the weakest sides in the league and you know struggle to to create chances and struggle to score. Um, granted, you haven't got the Morantic players there, and you had a weak striker in in Ed Air leading the line. I saw him miss a couple of easy easy chances early doors. But um, you know that game with Siomin in charge, you'd you'd imagine would have been a lot more comfortable. So um, yeah, not ideal, but he's he's not been in charge long. He maybe not, not had quite the time to uh, put a stamp on things yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it does yeah for sure, especially after coming in after such a legendary manager. I think it's it's shades of Moyes after Ferguson. Now Nikolic probably won't do as terrible as that absolute managerial charlatan that is David Moyes, <laughs> but he has to follow massive footsteps, Andrew. Yeah, yeah, that, that it is. Whatever you think of Yuri Shimin's uh, approach and style of football, which at times was almost as bad as what we saw at the weekend, in my opinion, um, he is a legend and he's won so much at the club that fans will forgive him for anything. Almost, um, I, I think, I think Nikolic has actually come at a good time because you know you got these last few games of the season when we know Zanita won the title already, so there's not. The pressure on him is just to make sure he gets Champions League. And that is pressure. He's got to hold off Krasadar. But I think third place is relatively safe. I don't think Rostov, with their problems of having to play youth players and whether they have to play them again, is going to hamper their their challenge. And Tisco, we've already discussed that. So I think getting third place is relatively comfortable, really. Um, So Niklic has got a bit of time where he can... I'm not saying experiment completely, but get a feel for his players... And, you know, I know there's no pre-season, but, you know, this is effectively could be treated as his pre-season. It's a 1-0 win. He's got the win out of the way and he can get to know his players better. And hopefully by the start of next season, um, they could be a dangerous prospect if they, well, replace Edda. Let's let's, uh, be clear about that. Um, I mean, Jesus. I mean, Neil Warnock's grandmother could have taken that with her left foot and scored it. I always like to remind uh, our RFN colleague, Ilya Sokolov, of just how truly awful I think Adair is. He's, he's good with his back-to-goal, and that's pretty much it. And for a striker, if you're only good back-to-goal, you're not having the best of careers. But I do agree. I think Loco have genuine quality throughout the side. From centre-back, Chaluka's one of the best defenders in the league. He's an absolute veteran. Going up through the team, they've got great, great quality. And like you say, I think they will obviously come good if they replace Adair. <laughs> just thinking of that penalty again at the weekend but and that, that's it been, that's been it for the RFN podcast this week so I want to say thanks again to yourself Andrew and David both of you for joining me oh, uh, game so week 24 
Game Week 24 starts on Friday with Akmat versus Sochi. You can check out the site at russianfootballnews.com for coverage of last week's games. There's some articles on Wagner Love's move to Kairat instead of Siska Moscow. And tomorrow, on Friday, we'll have a nice little feature on Rota Volgograd's return to the top league for the first time in 16 years. I've been James Nichols at James Nichols on Twitter. David, where can everyone find you online? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at RFN underscore David. And I do believe our friends at Scouted Football have got a new handbook out pretty soon that you worked on. Yeah, that's correct. Um, the latest latest handbook's out, and uh, I've written a nice little profile in there on uh, Igor Diveyev. Um So yeah, feel free to, uh, to check that out. It's a, it's a lovely looking coffee table publication. <laughs> yeah, so you can find that at uh, scoutersftbl.com and go and buy that online. It is really comes highly recommended for myself. I've got the previous editions of the handbook and if you've got any in like i want any information on up and coming young under 23 players around the world it's really really a great read and andrew how about yourself where can, where can we find you online uh yeah i'll be, I'll be on twitter at andrew mij flint and and i i would like to just second what you said about the scouting handbook it's it's just a fascinating read um covering everything so i wholeheartedly agree and obviously for for david's article alone on deve if that's going to be that's going to be great because I do think of all the debacle around Tiska Devev is one of the very few positive points. So let's focus on a good point to end, hey? Yeah, certainly. Devev is a very exciting upcoming young player, both for Siska and more importantly for Sponaya as well. Well, this has been the RFN podcast. Stay safe out there in solidarity. Bye for now. Веди его, беги, точнее его удар Но мяч берет в ноги решительный вратарь Не напрасно футбольное поле Самых ловких и смелых плечов Здесь нужны тренировка и воля Быстрота, увлечение, расчет